Well, good morning, everyone, and this is a special day. Today is Palm Sunday, and we are wrapping up our series together as we've kind of been, over the last several weeks, kind of looking at the life that Jesus had as he was hanging out with his disciples, connecting people, and he was endlessly bringing people together. I can imagine that that Palm Sunday, that day, and it's depicted in Matthew chapter 21, was probably the biggest you know, the day where they felt the most together. If you've been in a parade, it can kind of bring like an entire city together. You win a Super Bowl, you go do a parade, right? When you do things like this, it's like celebrating this important day. And what happened the Sunday prior to Easter is Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He rides on a donkey and people are shouting and celebrating and they're singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, you know, this is Palm Sunday, that day where everything is celebrated and everybody is together. And it's probably one of the highlight moments that the disciples and Jesus have. But as we know, you know, traditionally, this is the day we, we really celebrate and look at Palm Sunday. I want to look even beyond that day and see kind of the full scope of what happened in that week that changed the world. That significant week, the week leading up to Easter, how dramatically it changed. Because, because there's such a different tone to the Sunday and then the days that follow. The togetherness moment where everybody's celebrating, everybody's happy, everybody's excited. But there's moments where togetherness is put to the test. Isn't it? There's moments where it's easy, and then there's other moments when togetherness is put to the test, and that's what follows the kind of the parade. So, so Palm Sunday is, is, is historically what we would celebrate today. That happened in Matthew 21, and that's, that's um, uh, the, the days that follow are detailed in the book of Matthew as well. The next day, Monday, Jesus comes to the temple area where they're selling, um, you know, different things to sacrifice and to worship God. And he comes in and he sees that people are being taken advantage of and he flips tables over and he's angry and upset. And that's depicted right after this kind of parade situation takes place. The next day this happens. And this is kind of where it feels like the ch it takes a turn. It takes a turn because when everybody's celebrating and everybody's in a parade and everybody's happy and everybody's worshiping, that is easy to be together. But it takes a turn in this moment because Jesus does something controversial. Jesus does something where he puts this togetherness to the test. And many people are like, what is going on? And it could very well be this was the tipping point moment that led to what would happen, we understand, on Friday of that week. This might, be, might have been kind of that tipping point moment where the people around who were not on Jesus' side say, we have to get rid of this person because he's upsetting all of the things that we hold so dear, all of the things that we've known, all of the things that maybe have you know, been our livelihood. He's He's doing, he's threatening all of these things. And so the next day, Tuesday of the Holy Week, Jesus has a significant portion of teaching. And actually, this is where uh, Jesus does what's called the Olivet Discourse, where he tells 
the disciples and he tells other people some detailed information and stories about, you know, things that are yet to come. And really the main message of this actually couple of chapters in the Bible, which is uh, Matthew 21 through 25. The main message in that part on Tuesday was be ready. The main message was be ready when things get difficult. Be ready when you're faced with trial and difficulty and temptation and things because sometimes your togetherness, if we can put it in our context of what we've been talking about, is put to the test. And so that's what happens on Tuesday. On Wednesday, likely, or maybe it might have been Thursday, we're not quite sure, but in Matthew chapter 26, we see kind of the plot start to form uh, that is going to eventually arrest and put Jesus to death as Judas meets with people and they start putting together plans to arrest Jesus. So the plot kind of starts in Matthew 26 and then in Matthew 27. Or later in Matthew 26, Jesus gathers with his disciples and they have what's called the Last Supper, which is such a pivotal, important moment where they gather together and Jesus prepares kind of the, the Passover feast and they have a meal together. And he breaks the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. This is this is my blood shed for you. And they have this intimate moment and this critical moment. And he says, you know, do this. Remember this moment. Do this in remembrance of me. And at that event, Judas leaves to go and betray Jesus. Things are starting to be put to the test. And so all of these kind of events take place. And I want you to think about them within the scope and the sequence of events because it happened really quickly. It went from a parade to, you know, some maybe some a tough moment in the temple where Jesus is flipping over tables to maybe some tough teaching to to a plot starting to form to, you know, having that last meal. And then it leads to the moment that I want to focus in on today. And that is in Matthew chapter 26. So it says this. It says in Matthew 26, verse 36. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. 
and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. So if we see this, this portion, we see the, the, the events that led up to this, and this is kind of late into the night after the supper is taking place. Jesus is feeling the weight of the moment, and it says he is getting sorrowful. The emotions are starting to hit him as he, he sees this moment. He's like, I need to go and do Get some, get some peace. I need to go and pray. I need to get some clarity. And so he goes, and he goes with his disciples, and he, he goes to pray, and he says kind of these words right here with them. That it just struck me and stood out to me in, in regards to our series. Is he said right here in um, verse 38, he says, um, he says, stay here and keep watch with me. That's what he says to him. He asks them because these are the people that have been with them. These are this is his inner circle. These are his best friends that he spent all this time with. And this was the moment, this big moment that was coming up. And this is the moment that was overwhelming and huge. And Jesus is feeling the weight of this. And he's saying, can you can you stay up with me? Can you keep watch with me? Stay and keep watch and be there for me. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking how critical and important it is for each of us to have people in our life that will keep watch. Have people in our life that will stay with us and keep watch. That'll be the people in those moments when it's the toughest that will be there for us. I read an account of the Olympics back in the, in the 1930s where Jesse Owens was competing and he was expected to be the gold medalist in the long jump. And they were kind of getting ready and they had qualifying and Jesse Owens recounts being extraordinarily nervous. And there was an, a, a person that came up to him completely unexpected. It was the, the, the person that was competing for Germany. Nazi Germany at the time, and Adolf Hitler was there in attendance watching what was going on. And the guy came over to Jesse Owens and said, hey, relax, you got this. We all know you're the star here. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but this is the, the, the story that was recounted. But he's, he's like, just, just, take, just take a jump about a foot back because we know you're going to qualify easy. And then you know, make your good jump after qualifying. And Jesse Owens recounted it, calmed his nerves, and he did exactly what uh, the German told him to do. He qualified and went on to win a gold medal. And Jesse Owens shared that he never saw that man again, but he recounted and he said, you know what, the 24 karat gold friendship I had with this man through this encounter was worth more than any of the medals I ever earned. Can you imagine that, that this small little encounter in that moment when he was facing the immense pressure of kind of representing the United States, representing a minority race that was kind of in many ways sticking it to Nazi Germany. And in that moment in time, that little interaction, when someone came up to him and said, you know what, this is this is how you can be encouraged. That changed his perspective dramatically. And I've heard many definitions of friendship, and one I, I read this week is, is friendship really is when everyone else is going out, the people who come in. 
The people who come into uh, like the difficult things that you're dealing with in life, the, the people in that moment of crisis that you can count on, that, you know, when you're facing the moment that will define your life like Jesus was, Jesus says, stay with me. Keep watch. Be there for me. That inner circle group of people that Jesus was looking for and asking for help after all the time that he had invested, all the energy, all of that. It's interesting as you read this account that the disciples were, you know, falling asleep and probably didn't understand the weight of this moment. And they were, you know, they're like, okay, we ate a good meal. We're kind of dozing off, Jesus. The party is over. And they kept, and Jesus came back and the first time he's like, can Keep watch with me. Can you stay up? Can you keep praying with me? And then he comes back, you know, uh, a, a second time. And he was kind of like, he sees him asleep. And he's just like, okay. All right. Uh, that's the way it's going to be. But, but you know, he comes and he, he has kind of all of these different encounters with them. And we see, like, there is difficult. And many times, even these disciples that cared for Jesus so much, it is difficult to rise to the occasion when togetherness is put to the test. It's difficult. And so that's kind of what transpires in this point in time. As we see that a little bit later, Peter denies knowing Jesus. We see a little bit later on Friday as we understand that Good Friday is the day that Jesus is put to death. We see that he's there at the cross and 11 out of the 12 disciples have scattered and are gone. And it's only John that remains. And so it is really incredibly difficult to remain together when it's put to the test. And this is the situation we kind of see. And we see people scattered in this moment. I heard, I read an article. It talked about a friendship crisis in our culture. And it kind of struck me because... One of the things it says, it said that uh, there is a friendship crisis and people aren't developing friends the way that they used to. And they're not putting in the time to do that. And in fact, um, the, the age group and the demographic that is worst at this is middle-aged men. I'm like, well, that's me. I fit firmly into that category. Um, tomorrow is my 40th birthday. And so tomorrow... I fit extraordinarily firmly into that category, so I'm going to go buy a Corvette tomorrow. You know, doesn't that sound like the right thing to do? It's my 40th birthday. I'm going to buy a Corvette. Okay, all right. Um, but, but, you know, I, it struck me as I was reading. I was like, okay, people in my age group, in my demographic, there's a friendship crisis where people aren't developing friends at all, and there's more and more isolation. Of course, like right now, it's like you can blame everything on COVID. Oh, it's COVID. Nobody's getting together COVID. But yeah, that's not it. That's not it. This is something that has been developing and has been trending for years and years. And actually in the Wall Street Journal, they put this stat up and I want to show it to you as it says this. This is what it takes to develop friendships. And maybe this is why there's a friendship crisis in our culture is it says that casual friendships take 40 to 60 hours to develop. That's a significant amount of time. This is just casual friendships. People who are you would truly call your friends is it takes about 80 to 100 hours to develop those friendships and really close friends. 
Really, people that you'd say are in your inner circle, it takes in excess of 200 hours. If you do the math on that, 200 hours to develop a close friend, that is an eight-hour day, five days a week for five weeks. That is a significant amount of time. That's like, okay, I'm going to take off the next five work weeks off and just hang out so I can have a close friend. It takes some significant investment, doesn't it? It takes some significant time. But as we see here, even Jesus in this moment, it was so critical for him. He was one that was always there for others in this moment. And I think it's not by mistake. I think there's a couple of things going on here. Jesus wanted those people near him, but he's also giving us an example. That in the moment where it's really tough and the crisis comes up, that you should have people around you that you can say, will you keep watch with me? Will you be there with me? Will you stand firm with me? Will you be in my inner circle? Will you be that type of person? So the question that I want you to think about and contemplate is who is it that's in your inner circle? Who is it? Who is a group of people that you could say, if that crisis moment came up in my life, they would keep watch with me? And the type of people that you want to be looking for is the, the type of people that will make you better. The type of people that will encourage you in a positive direction. The type of people that will, that will come in when everyone else is going out. The type of people that will inspire you, motivate you, uh, give you godly wisdom and advice. The type of people that will be there for you. And I'll tell you that, that every single one of us should be seeking and thinking about how we have people like this in our life. I think there's things that we need to keep in mind when we're talking about it is that, first of all, listen, not every, nobody's going to be perfect at this. Even if you have people that you've invested a lot of time in, you've, you have really close friendships with, they're not going to be perfect at this. Sometimes they may not see the way to the moment. They may be falling asleep when you really need them there. And, and, and sometimes it's frustrating because it's like, I wish you said this, or I wish you called when this happened, or I wish you did this. But listen, we cannot decide exactly how everyone is going to respond as friends to us. But what we need to do is I think the best thing we can do to make sure we build this togetherness, make sure we have people in our life like this, is invest in other people. I believe firmly that relationships are kind of like a bank account. I remember back to one of you know, the, the, the few uh, classes that I remember the, the professor uh, very vividly exactly what they were saying was in my church administration class. Isn't that, isn't that a fun class? Everybody's like, wow, that sounds exciting. All right, church administration class in my undergraduate, and it was a local pastor uh, that actually taught the class that led a really big church, and so he knew quite a bit about church administration. And he came in one day, and I don't have this because I think these have gone like, I even looked on Amazon this week to try to buy one of these as a visual aid. They don't exist anymore. He had this little coin thing in his pocket. Anybody remember those? Little, uh, like, kind of rubber things, and you, you, you push them, and you got a couple of coins in there. And, you know, they used to give them away at banks, and then they outlawed cash. So we don't have cash anymore. Um, cash doesn't exist. So, so he had one of these things, and I'm using this as an example. I, this doesn't really work very well. But, but he had kind of like this thing, and he, he, he came into the class, and he pulled it out of his pocket, and he's like, 
I want to tell you guys, this is what's going to happen when you start at a church. When you start as a pastor of a church, you're going to have a little bit in the bank. You're going to have a little bit in there because you know what? They're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. They just hired you. They like you. All this kind of stuff. But let me tell you, here's what happens is there's sometimes you have to make a tough decision or sometimes you do something and not people like it. And you know what you're doing? You're spending a little bit of that, that change. You're spending a little bit of that. And then at some point, if you spend too much of that, you're not going to have anything else left. So you got to make sure you're putting some more money in that bank. And I remember that lesson, and I thought, it was, I thought it was just something that struck me from a person that had quite a bit of experience in time, that what he was explaining to us, and I've heard it, I've heard it described in this way many times since, that relationships really are like a bank account. They really are. Is that, that it takes time, and if you make withdrawals before you make any deposits, you will be overdrawn. That's how it works. That's how it works in anything. That's how it works in our bank account, right? If you just show up and you say, I would like to open a bank account and take out money, it doesn't work that way, does it? You have to put something in first. And you have to put something in, and normally, and maybe the reason that, like, Friendships are on the decline or there is a friendship crisis in our culture is maybe it's like we're waiting till that emergency moment to say, I need this to take place. We're trying to make a withdrawal and there's nothing there. We haven't built it up. And so I think it's such a powerful visual that all of us can understand in a practical way that, you know, that it is an essential thing for us that we're making deposits in our relationships on a regular basis. That we're building this asset in our life that is so critical to our own well-being and our own health and our spiritual life and vitality that we are making deposits in this. It's such a more important asset than a bank balance. It's those people in your life that are in your inner circle, the people in your life that you can count on, the people in your life that will make you better, that in that moment when you are overwhelmed, that you can say, stand with me and keep watch because I'm in need. And so I want to challenge you and I want you to think about, are you building into that? And we see in Jesus's life, he spent time, energy, effort, and hours investing in the lives of other people and kept depositing and depositing and depositing. And he showed us an example in this moment where he said, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for a withdrawal because I need something. What an example for us. This is an example for us. That he put in lots and lots of deposits. But there was a moment where he had the wisdom to say, come around me. Pray for me. Keep watch over me in this moment in time. When everyone else is going away, I need people to come in. And so I want you to think about and ask yourselves, who is in your inner circle? And I think probably... The question we should also ponder is how can we be an inner circle type person? How can we develop this? How can we, how can we be making these deposits? How can we invest in other people? And I think, it, I think it really comes down to sharing our faith. 
Now, this is, a, this is not the type of terms that we use in regards to friendships very often because kind of what we talk about when we say words like sharing our faith is we think about, you know, walking up to a random stranger and saying, do you know Jesus or what would happen to you if you died tonight? And honestly, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of that because I don't, uh, I, I don't know if that works very well with people that you don't have a, a relationship with, okay? Maybe it does work for some people, and I appreciate and I admire the boldness. But the reality is I'm talking about sharing your faith in regards to my faith is a part of kind of my relationships that I'm building. And I'm moving past just kind of surface conversations or surface talk or surface relationship, and my faith is starting to inform and build into the relationships I have. My faith is something that is, that is overflowing into the key people in my life that I care about and know. My faith is something that is, that is overflowing and sharing, and I'm letting people into that part of my life, and I'm sharing and building other people up in many ways. I think, you know, I think about how important and how vital it is to have kind of that depth, that second level depth in our relationships that includes our faith. Because it moves relationships beyond casual. It moves relationships, you know, I think like, you know, kind of those hours that we saw on the board. If Casey put that up again, it's like, you know, the, the 40 hours is kind of casual friendship. It kind of moves things along quicker because there's something deeper and something more significant and more important that is taking place if we share our faith with one another. That's why here at Church of the Creek, it's been such a, a value and such a virtue of ours to say we're building a neighborhood church. Because I cannot think of just trying to navigate this life when crises and moments come up without having people around me that I can say, will you keep watch over me? Will you pray for me? It's such an asset that I long for in my family and in my own life, and it's something that I think about, and I, I pray for you, and I'm, I'm thinking, how can we, people endure the things that they have to deal with? And I think, man, the only th way that they can is if they have a group around them, and that's the gift that God gave us. That's the example that Jesus set, and in the last moments of his life, that's still what he was engaging in as he gathered for the Last Supper, and then he went off and he was going in prayer. As he was building this in his life, and he was sharing his faith, and he was letting people in, and there was a deep and meaningful relationship that was taking place. And so I would say to you that if you, you know, if you don't have a group of people like that, I would say that is something to invest in. That is some money that you need to put in the bank. You know, right now we have, we have a connection group that is going to be meeting on Sunday night, 6 o'clock, starting again or restarting again on the 11th of April. And they would love to have you connect in that way. There's other, other groups and activities that we have. And every time we gather here, we have an opportunity to connect in a deeper level than just meeting somebody or fist bumping somebody. We have a deeper way that we can connect. Zach mentioned it this morning just Kind of the group that gathers every morning and practices and, and gets ready to lead us in worship. You know, those, that five minutes where we gather and pray together is probably the most significant time that we spend, you know, getting ready for our worship as we gather together. We pray for each other 
and many times pray for each other's prayer requests. These things have such an important and powerful role in your life. And this is why God gave us the gift of the church. This is why Jesus modeled this idea of togetherness all through his life, even to the last moments of his life, is that it's an example that we have to understand. So maybe sometimes we look at Jesus' kind of teaching and we say, okay, let's look at all the things Jesus said. Let's pray like Jesus prayed. But do we look at the life that he lived and live out our life similarly? like the type of relationships that he formed. I don't know anyone that was better adept at connecting, had a better inner circle than these like 12 disciples that traveled around with him than Jesus. And that's the example he gives us. So, so there is an incredible thing that takes place where in this week it was put to the test. And we see it's tough. And next week we're going to get into Good Friday and, of course, Easter Sunday. But, you know, the, the, the relationships and all the togetherness was put to the test in this moment. And our challenge is, if we can learn anything from Holy Week, is when those moments are tough, let's make sure we stick together. Let's make sure we're here for one another. When somebody is at the point of exhaustion and overwhelmed and saying, actually, it says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Will we be the type of people that are here for one another? Something that we have to build. An example we learned from Holy Week. And the reality of it is even though Jesus was probably the best ever, at building these inner circle people that these, these friends kind of abandoned him in these last days. And it broke apart. I don't think it was a reflection on Jesus and how he built friendships. I think it's a reflection on the fact that it's really tough. That in those moments when things are tough and togetherness is put to the test, the natural inclination would be that we would divide, that people would separate, that people would go their own ways. This is the world we live in, and it's something that we see in the life of the disciples. So the takeaway from Passion Week, as far as these relationships are concerned, is will you keep watch? Will you stand by? Will you stay there when the moment gets tough? And will you be that type of friend? Do you have that type of people in your life? May we, as a church community, be that kind of people. This past Wednesday, I did something that is, that is pretty ordinary for me. Wednesday morning, 6.30 a.m., I jump on a Zoom call with a group of men. And we have, you know, between about six to, six to eight, nine men that meet every Wednesday morning at 6.30 on Zoom. We started doing this uh, several years ago, but we transitioned to Zoom about a year ago. Right when everybody else started doing those things. And we used to meet every other week. We bumped it up because we said, we need to start meeting every week. There's a need for it. And I looked this past week at, uh, because I'm the one that schedules the Zoom meetings. And it said in my little Zoom thing, it said meeting 47 out of 47 was coming up. It's like 
That's a lot of stinking meetings. So 47 times, and I think it was actually we did 46, 47 is coming next week and we will meet. So 46 times we gather together at 6 early in the morning before the work day and gather together and we, we check in on one another. We see what's going on in different people's lives. There's been hundreds of prayer requests that have been shared. There's hundreds of kind of uh, stories that have been told. And we look at some Bible verses we share and we talk about it a little bit and we pray for each other. And we've been doing that 46 times. We've done that 46 times. And I really had a profound moment this past Wednesday. And it's, it's pretty obvious if you look at it and you think about it. It's, this is not the type of thing that happens maybe on the first time you meet. But the type of thing that can happen after 46 times of meeting. Is that we were having a conversation and we were talking about the shootings that have happened in Boulder. We're talking about the fact that there was a family in our Spanish congregation that had a fire. And the woman jumped out of a window and broke her arm. And we were thinking about how we can support and help her. And I mentioned that in our services a couple of weeks ago. We were talking also about the border crisis that was taking place. And just saddened at the fact that there's a lot of people just in a really desperate situation. And kind of just looking around and having conversations around all of these things saying, man, what do we do? And our group kind of gathered together, and there was one person in particular that kind of brought the conversation to a head where he said, we need to try to do something, so what should we do? And there's some, lots of conversation and some unanswered questions that came up, but in essence, the conclusion of the conversation was this. And remember, this is after 46 times. As I said, guys, there's a couple of unanswered questions on what we can do. We had kind of a basic framework on some of the things that we wanted to help with. But I said, can I count on you? So I don't know the answer of what we're going to do, but can I call on you when I have something that we need done? And all the guys on that call said, yes, you can count on me. You can call on me. Whatever we need to do, we'll take care of it and we'll make sure it's done. You see, 46 times of gathering together, praying for one another, investing in one another, sharing with one another, led to the moment for me to be able to have the confidence to look at them and say, if I need you, I'm calling you and knowing that they'll come through. And I can't tell you how valuable and important that is for me personally in my life. To have people that I have in my life that I know a quick text and I know they'll be there for me. To know that. But understand, it takes that time. It takes that investment. It takes those deposits being built in. And if, if, if you say, I don't know if I have anybody to call on, that is something that you can say over maybe the next year or two in my life, I'm going to start investing in this way. I'm going to live like Jesus lived and I'm going to follow his example and start investing in other people and doing that. Because there will be a moment where I need something. And it's not just about you and the moment you need something. There'll be a moment when somebody else needs something. And having a life where you can say, 
I am the type of people. We, I, our community is the type of people that when everyone else is running out, we run in. And when somebody needs someone to stand and watch, we'll be there. Will you pray with me? God, I'm so challenged by this account. That Jesus, in your moment of need, you ask for people to stand and be with you. If you needed that, God, I know I need it all the more. And God, I pray that I would be the type of person that makes lots of deposits, lots of investments in others. And God, I pray that I would be the type of person that when someone else says, I'm sorrowful, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death, stay and keep watch, that I keep watch. God, I can't think of a more pressure-packed moment than the days that led up to your death. Can't imagine the struggle. God, help us all to relate and understand that whatever comes up, God, if we have people around us, if we are close in a relationship with you that we can endure. As you're offering your own prayers to God, I want to invite you to just kind of picture in your head maybe some of the people in your life. You'd say, that's somebody that I need in my inner circle. That's somebody that I need to be investing in. Not just for my own benefit, but also for theirs. God, that's somebody that I want to support, encourage. If somebody is brought to mind right now, pray for them. Pray that God would give you an opportunity to share your faith with them. Not, not meaning that you'll just have a big speech you give them, but you'll let people enter in to your life. Be a part of your journey of faith. Picture that person and pray for them. Invest in them. We all need somebody that will stand watch.
Lord, hear our prayers. I pray, God, for togetherness. God, I pray even if the whole world splinters and separates and argues and is divided, God, not here in this place. Not here. Not in your church. So bring us together, God. Help us to understand what it means to love God and to love our neighbor, God. Bring us together. We pray this in Jesus' name.